Good evening, Awakening. How are you? Did that wake you up? I didn't know I was that loud. I apologize. Hey, good to see you. Yep, okay, okay, okay. I see how it's going. See how it's going to go. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. A little late, though. A little <laughs> late. Hey, welcome to Awakening. Good to be with you. Tonight, we're closing out our series on relationships, Barbie and Ken, and the fate of the human race. We've been in this six weeks, and for some, you're like, finally, it's over. For some, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe uh, it's already over. Uh, here's what I just say is the last six weeks, there's been so much that we've covered. And, and just to let you know, you can go back. We got a podcast, uh, www.awakeningchurch. Why did I say www? Everybody knows that. Um, Awakeningchurch.com. You can go check out the podcast, both video and um, I'm not, this is as far as it goes, by the way. Um, I'm just, I was freezing in the back and then now I'm, yeah, woo, there we go. Um, You can do that. We said from the very beginning, Barbara McKinn, the fate of the human race, that the way we do relationships matters so much more than just your singular relationship. Although that matters a ton, doesn't it? I mean, relationships, they they can be the greatest thing or they can be the worst thing. They can create the greatest joys or they can create the biggest heartbreaks, can't they? But then at the same time, what you know, because you experience it, what I know, is that how we do relationships sends this ripple effect on for generations. How you do relationships affects your kids or one day kids and their grandkids. And here's how I know you know that. Because you've been deeply impacted and shaped by how your parents have done relationships. Some of you, this whole idea of marriage, I don't want any part of it because I never saw it modeled well, right? Now, here's the other side of it, why it's such a big deal that we're t- we would take six weeks to talk on this. How you do relationships not only sends a ripple effect to the generations to come, and it will really literally affect on through generations how you do that, but then it impacts those watching around you. We don't think about that, but how you do relationships either brings despair or brings hope. I shared this story right when we uh, kicked off the series about my neighbor who came up and was talking to my wife, and, and she was, came up just kind of curious and was like, seems like you and Ryan really like one another. She's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems, seems like you guys are friends. We are. I mean, what a novel thought. You're married to your best friend. That's crazy. It is kind of crazy today. And here's what here's was the next comment. It's so big, so big, so huge. She's like, man, well, maybe there's hope for us too. Married couple, been married longer than us, older than us, and they look at our relationship and see how they do relationships has infused and said, hey, maybe there's even hope for us. Could it be, could it be that the fate of the human race just might depend on how we go about relationships. That's why we've taken the last six weeks to talk about such an important issue. 
as we start tonight, um, I, I actually just want to start by showing a video. I came across this this last week, and it is semi-humorous, and it actually kind of helps make the point. So why don't you go ahead, sit back, relax, and take a look. Sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. You do have a nail in your head. It's not about that. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll be bad if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail... See, I'm not listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Ow! Oh, come on. If you would just don't. I don't know why we're clapping for that, but okay, go for it. Um, uh, you saw, and that was a quick reminder for me, we're going to do Q&A at the night. You saw the number flashed up there. If you want to text along the way, uh, questions in, that would be great. Uh, here's the big idea for tonight. Uh, the fate of the human race hangs not on intuition, but on intentionality. The fate of the human race hangs not on intuition, not just on how you feel about things, not just your gut kind of leading you on, but literally being intentional, having a purpose or a plan, getting help, being disciplined about your relationships. So we say things like this. We, we kind of live off of intuition, this idea of like, I just want you to listen to me, but I don't want to actually deal with or try to fix anything. I, I can figure it out myself, and we don't want any outside input. Intuition is this idea. We'd say, you know what, we really love each other, and so we'll just kind of work out. You know, I'm just going to do what feels right. We'll, 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 we'll figure out how to make it somehow. There's no game plan. There's no any of that. And intentionality is a daily choice of how you're going to respond. You have a game plan. You're prepared. It takes work. Here's, here's one of those words we don't like to hear, but it's so crucial for every great relationship. It requires discipline. Hang on, hang on, hang on. No, 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 you don't get it. We fell in love. Come on, we fell in love, and it was amazing. It doesn't take discipline. It's so natural. And if falling in love is so easy and so natural, shouldn't staying in love be easy and natural? That's what we buy into. See, we think just because we fell in love, that staying in love is easy. Here's the, here's the kind of rude awakening. 
The fate of the human race rests not on intuition and just kind of like, oh, we fell in love. That's great. I'm so thankful for that. But if you want to experience a relationship that lasts a lifetime, you want to experience deep, meaningful intimacy with another human being on this planet, falling in love won't just cut it. You have to decide we're going to stay in love. And that, my friends, requires intentionality. I don't know why I broke up that word that way. It didn't quite work out. It sounded better in my head, intentionality. And sounded a little more kind of, you know, but it didn't. It didn't at all. Now, here's, <laughs> sorry, it's been a long day. I may make some random comments along the way. Here's what the wise know that others don't. If the faith of the human race rests not on intuition but on intentionality, here's what the wise know that others don't, that we keep going through the same things over and over. Here's what they know. The wise understand that it's not necessarily what they know, but what they do with what they know that makes all the difference. Wise understand this fundamental principle. This is so huge for every single relationship because we just spent six weeks talking about relationships, talking about all the big things. But if we miss this, if you miss this one point, you've missed it all. Because it doesn't matter how much you know in a relationship. It doesn't matter how much you got. Unless you do something with what you know, it actually equals a big zero. Listen to what Proverbs says about this. It says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but a simple keeps going and suffers for it. The prudent man, and in fact, just circle that word prudent and just kind of write next to it. A prudent person is one who sees that all of life is connected. They understand that everything is connected. See, we like to live in a world where we live disconnected lives, and I can do something over here, but it doesn't really impact over here or over here. We live broken up, segmented uh, lives, and a prudent one understands all of life is connected, and what I do over here impacts that over there. That's what it means to be prudent. And now listen, it says a prudent man sees. He's aware. There's foresight. He sees down the road. He's not just focused on the here now. He's not just focused up in the emotions of the moment. He sees. He sees down the road. I see something ahead coming, and it's dangerous. And so he takes cover. But, but, the simple. The simple says, you know what, we'll figure it out when we get there. You know what, it's really not that big of a deal. I got it handled. You know, other people might deal with that. It might be a problem, but we're in here, we hear this all the time, whether you're married, whether you're dating, engaged, you said this, or in some phrase have said this, but we're the exception. Saying everybody else, everybody else, they 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 fell into that trap, but we're not going to go there. It's okay, we'll make it through. And here's what it says: the simple keep going and suffer for it. See, the wise understand this fundamental principle. It's not just what they know, but what they do with what they know that makes all the difference. I have one goal tonight, is that you would apply something from this series, and from, I got like real specific application for you at the end, that we don't just be smarter about relationships, but we actually do relationships better. 
Fate of the human race hangs not on intuition, but on intentionality. Okay, so here's what it looks like to be prudent in your relationships. And I'm going to invite my friend Christina back up, who helped me out last week. Uh, she leads our Mama's Missional Community. Uh, Christina Papoulias has been in ministry for uh, a little over a decade, and we've gotten to do ministries over the, over the years, doing student ministries and different things like that. And she's going to help me um, as we unpack this. But in regards to relationship, what does it look like to be prudent? What does it look like to be aware and look down the road and see danger and begin to take cover? Did you know... Uh, and you, you get this, you know this, come on, I, that, that there are typical landmines that every relationship, no matter how good or how go- godly, will encounter. That there are things that you can expect that it's just going to happen. It doesn't matter how much you love Jesus together, you're going to hit these. It doesn't matter how much you want it to work, you're going to hit some of these. And if you want to be prudent, if you want to be wise, if you want to have not just fall in love, but if you want to stay in love, you'll begin to take note and say, you know what, I see danger, I'm going to take refuge. There are, I think, at least five and probably more, but we're just going to cover five. Five landmines that sabotage great relationships. Five things, and and a landmine is just this. You know, a landmine is one of those things that is hidden underneath ground that you don't necessarily see it, and you need kind of some special instruments to find it. But when you step on it, it can just explode on you. Some of you have been in relationships. We're going to cover some of these things, and you're going to go, yep, that was it. I didn't know that was it. I didn't know I was hitting that. But I've hit that over and over and over again. Let's cover this. Uh, five landmines that sabotage great relationships. The first one, first one is self-destructing cycles. Self-destructing cycles. These are if you're in a relationship where you just feel like it's stuck on repeat. My daughter has a little um, CD player. And my wife has given her all her old kind of CDs, and so she'll be jamming out in her room, and I mean, like, she cranks this thing up way too loud, um, and she's having a lot of fun. But because they're old CDs, they, they sometimes do what? Ah, exactly. You're with me. Great. They skip. And so, but she doesn't know that that's not part of the song yet, you know? And so, like, eventually we'll cue on, and it'll be like, down, 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 down. Some of, us, some of us are stuck in relationships like that. Some of us are repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again. You're repeating the same mistakes. You're repeating the same arguments, the same conversation, maybe, and you just kind of feel like, man, I just feel like I'm stuck or we're stuck on repeat. Notice what uh, Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. That's very visual, fairly graphic. What you need to assess is, am I stuck in a self-destructing cycle? Uh, for singles and datings, what this looks like is that you're choosing oftentimes chemistry over character. I watch this all the time, and I see singles do this, where they elevate chemistry, they elevate emotions, they elevate having that connection, and you're like, woo, right? Yet they never got to know the person. They never got to see them in seasons to see what, how, who they are and how are they like. And you elevate chemistry, and you keep doing that, and you're like, oh, we're great together. And three months later, you're like, he's the worst. 
she's, oh, she scares me now. (laughs) And you're stuck on a cycle over and over and over again. And your dating life could be revolutionized when you realize I'm on a self-destructing cycle where I elevate uh, chemistry over character. And some of you have done that so much that there's an amazing man, there's an amazing woman that is right beside you that you've overlooked because you've elevated character or chemistry above character. That was a good place for an amen for somebody. There you go. (laughs) That was a very deep voice back there. For marrieds. And there's other types, but I, I just wanted to get a couple kind of big ones. For marrieds, I think a lot of times we get stuck in cycles like this where we're making promises instead of changing patterns. Where we're constantly making promises, I'll change, I'll do this, it won't be this this way, and yet instead of, making, uh, instead of changing patterns, we just make promises that we can't keep, and you're just stuck over and over and over again. For us, for Jenny and I, we... Um, we were stuck in this pattern, man. We were always just, it was about two or three years ago. It just felt like every about three weeks, we would just kind of knock heads. And we we're just getting in arguments. And I'm like, come on, what's going on? And then we would go on date nights. And our date nights were just a time to argue. I began to hate date nights. Because we'd go out and we'd just be like, I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? What I realized and what I shared last week about our date and details, that's the pattern we had to put in place. What I realized was that we constantly were saying, okay, this needs to change, this needs to change, but we didn't do anything. And so our dates just became a place where we finally had the space to argue and vent our frustration, and we were just caught in that cycle over and over again. And then we decided, okay, it's not about making promises or trying harder. We're going to change our patterns. And so we said, okay, Mondays, we're going to do a date in details because here's what's happening for us. We just kind of self-diagnosed as a couple. We're not connecting on some of the big things in life and for our family and for our kids, um, for our, our lives. And so as a result, we need to take time and connect and so we do a thing, and I shared it last week, called Date and Details. It's a business meeting. We just don't like business meetings, so we call it Date and Details, where we just decide we're going to cover three big things. We're going to talk about our family. We're going to talk about our future. And so we get out the calendar, and I hate calendars. I hate scheduling stuff. It's just, mm. And yet we go out, and we, we did it last week, and, you know, we looked at the, this week, and what, what do we have, and then looked at the month, and then looked about three months out. We do our finances and write the bills together. And what it created was now we're moving on the same page. And we have a time to connect with the issues of life, everyday life, so that when we go on dates, we just get to have fun. Are you stuck making promises instead of changing your patterns? The question here, are we caught in a cycle? One of the books that first alerted me a number of years back as I was kind of caught in a cycle was a book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich and it talks about the crazy cycle and maybe you're there and that might be a great book to pick up. Christina, why don't you take the next one? Hey guys, it's a joy to be with you. Um, The second landmine we're going to dive into a little bit is the skeletons in the closet. 
Sorry, Ryan, I'm raising your music stand. <laughs> so here's the truth about the skeletons in our closet. The hard truth is that it just never impacts only us. We all have some kind of skeleton in our closet. And what we do when we come into a relationship is we bring that with us. And even though we might have the closet doors closed and we're trying our hardest to disguise it, that skeleton is going to impact our relationship. Um, a lot of us have this belief that it just only affects us. We really do. But we can read Proverbs 15, 14, which says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. The discerning heart seeks knowledge. And so what I want us to do as we unpack this a little bit is to really look inside and seek that knowledge. What is it for us personally? What is that skeleton in our closet that could be a potential landmine in our relationships? The first thing I want us to look at is our family background. Our family background. Because here's the truth of it. Whether we love our family, hate our family, want to be with our family, want to run away from our family, our family has really shaped in so many ways the way that we see the world. The way that we viewed our parents during the relationship or the people we grew up with, that's, that's how we're going to view a marriage relationship. The way people treated each other, the conflict, the conflict resolution, the environment, all of that stuff is shaped in so many ways who we are. And so when we enter into a relationship, either dating or married, we're bringing all of that with us. That family background is coming with us. Um, for me, one thing that I found in my relationship with my husband, my husband's name is Steve, and we've been married for nine and a half years. Yes, I got married when I was like 12, so it's cool. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go into that. <laughs> um, but one thing I realized a couple years into our marriage is that one of the skeletons in my closet was just some kind of deep pain that I had from early on in my life. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And when I was in middle school, um, my dad was an associate pastor at this church, and the church was growing. We had just, like, built this big building, and the church was in this really healthy, awesome place, or so we thought. Um, and then all of a sudden, there was all these hushed conversations between my parents behind closed doors, and I kind of realized there was an issue, and it came out that our senior pastor at our church had been having an affair with his wife's best friend. He had three kids. His wife's best friend had three kids, and this had been an ongoing thing. And you guys can just only imagine what that did to our church. I mean, it was brutal. Brutal for what happened to our church attendance, for what happened for the staff. There was, like, conflict and dissension. And, and as a 12-year-old, I caught on to all of this. And a person that I had held in high esteem, who was a spiritual role model for me, had really kind of crushed what I thought was healthy and what was good. And then wouldn't you know it, my junior year in high school, the same thing happened, but this time was with my youth pastor. And it was a youth pastor that I had so much admiration for. And our, our youth group was growing, and I was inviting my friends that didn't know Jesus to church. And I remember specifically this one guy, I never thought he'd come to church, and he was coming, and he was in my small group. And then once this news came out that our youth pastor had messed up, this guy never came back to church again. And so I realized a couple years into our marriage that I do not trust my husband. And I would ask him questions about where he was, and I would like be looking through his phone, and I'd be checking his email, all these things. And my husband has never given me any reason to doubt his faithfulness to me. But I had kind of been scarred by this, and so I brought this right into our marriage. And I realized even in the last couple months, my husband's called me out on this one, I'll just make little comments here and there that kind of are accusatory kind of just assuming something that, that's not a reality. 
that's a skeleton in my closet that could totally be a landmine in my relationship because trust is totally pivotal. So I want you to think through this. What are some of those things in your family history that you're bringing into your relationship or that you could potentially be bringing into relationship in the future? The next thing we want to look at is our secret habits and addictions because these are not secrets. Secret habits and addictions. These can be maybe an addiction to alcohol, an addiction to drugs, an addiction to gambling, an addiction to food, an addiction to pornography, an addiction to exercise. You know, these are those unhealthy habits like an eating disorder or, or different things that, that we think are just us. We think they only affect us. But the reality is, is they come right with us into our relationships and they are very, very present. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're in the room and you're a single person, and as I'm saying this, something is like totally going off in your head or you're getting that feeling in the pit of your stomach like, darn it, that's totally me. I just want to encourage you to take that to the Lord and figure out how can God be healing you of that in this season of your life. Because here's what I know. It only gets trickier as you get married and then you have this new relationship in your life. So if you're single, now is the time. Deal with that addiction. Deal with that habit. If you're in a married situation, now is the time. Deal with it now. Invite the Lord in to bring healing to that issue and get help if you need it. Um, three years ago, I watched my aunt and uncle go through a nasty, nasty divorce after about 23 years of marriage because of a secret hidden pornography addiction that was ongoing for years and years. And there were three grown children that just got kind of crushed in the midst of this. And the Lord is so good. And now they both have gone separate ways and, and God's done really neat things with their life and bringing wholeness. But the secret ruined their marriage. If you're married, you got to deal with these things, please, now. And if, um, as you look back, either there's been a divorce or a breakup or something in your life and you know exactly what it was that caused that, that it was an addiction, don't repeat it. Deal with that so you don't repeat it. Um, the last thing is our unresolved past our unresolved past. And this is going to be the things that we've done in our past that cause us constant shame and guilt, or maybe the things that have been done to us. Something that we were a victim of, but that we still deal with this shame and this guilt, our unresolved past. And here's what I want to say to all three of those things. I just want to preach us Romans 8, 1 through 2 over all of these. Do you guys know this one? I love it. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Friends, that is good news. Really good news. Those skeletons in the closet, open that closet door and let them out because God has brought us freedom from all of those things, from that family background, from those habits and those addictions, freedom. We can actually be free from those addictions. And that unresolved past, there can be freedom. Thank you for the clapping <laughs> because that is the Lord and that is what he wants to bring to us. So here's the questions on this one, guys, and this is in your notes. First, what are the experiences, both good and bad, in my past that have shaped who I am today? What are those experiences? And here's a second question I'm going to add that's not in there. And it's this. Have I allowed God into these areas of my life? Have I invited him in? 
Have I asked him to heal and restore my soul? Have I embraced the fact that there is no condemnation? Have I found that freedom in Christ? Because if we have, that no longer is a landmine for us. The next one I want to hit on, and this is the third thing in your notes, and this is the me monster. M-E, me, monster. And this is, oh, it's just ugly. It's just ugly. This is where the focus becomes all about me. And I got to tell you, I have three little kids, and from the time that they can figure out how to say the word mine, the me monster is present, right? And it kind of looks like a two-year-old in all of our relationships when the me monster veers its ugly head. But I don't think this is, this is something that any of our relationships go without. The me monster is kind of always something that we're fighting um, and maybe it's never completely gone, but we have to be so, so aware of the me monster. This is when the focus is all about me. My needs, my expectations, my wants, my desires. It's not necessarily about serving you. It's about getting what I want. Um, and I feel like in our culture, this me monster is not only prevalent, but it's celebrated. And I kind of think of the show like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, right? Like you take somebody and you put in front of them 25 eligible people that are just like, pick me, pick me. And, and this person just gets like to choose whoever they want, right? It's like this idea of like, okay, who's going to make me happy? Who's the most beautiful for me? It has nothing to do with companionship or partnership. It's all about me. And we drag this right into our relationships. Um, Proverbs 14, 12, this is in your notes, and it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man to a woman, to a child, to a teenager. There is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. And I think our natural inclination is to look out for number one, right? Self-preservation. Look out for ourselves. But this can be such a landmine in our relationships. What does this look like? One, this looks like selfishness. This looks like downright selfishness. I am the focus My pride is what's the most important. And it's just all about me. Now, I don't know if you all can think of a situation in your life that's like this. I can think of, you know, like 12 just today. Um, But I know for me, the me monster is the ugliest, like when I'm tired, when I'm worn out, when life is just like beating me up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, in our home, there's three kids, there's a husband, there's like a lot going on, there's homework and school. But all of a sudden, everything comes about, for, it's about me, you know? And maybe I feel slighted, like, you don't say that to me, and that's not fair, and me, 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 me. And then what I find when I start to go into the selfish mode, angerness starts to rise. That rage, do you guys know that feeling of rage that comes up in you, like you've been wronged? Now, there's times that that feeling is, is a good feeling, right? Like a a righteous rage, like if there's some awful atrocity that's happening to people. But when it's because we feel like our pride has been hurt or we're not getting what we deserve, that's a great indicator for us that something is not right, that the me monster is is coming to hang out with us. Because these are destructive emotions. This is the second point in your notes, the destructive emotions. This is the angerness that's then followed by bitterness that maybe then is followed by resentment. This is when I'm resenting my husband because I'm not happy because I'm not fulfilled, because he's not affectionate enough, compassionate enough, kind enough. He doesn't bring me roses enough, whatever. The list can go on and on and on. And I don't know if you guys do this, but this is what I do in my head. Um, I kind of create like a conversation of what I'm going to tell him. Like, oh, well, when he's here, this is what I'm going to say. 
And there's like a whole conversation. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm seeing a couple nuts. Yeah, right? It's this like one-sided, mean, terrible thing. And I need to keep it in my mouth because it just causes destruction. But these destructive emotions, they need to be like an indicator for us. Like when that anger and that rage raises up in us, we need to ask ourselves, what is the root of this? Why am I feeling this way? Because for me, when it's the me monster, it's because I'm feeling like my pride has been hurt. Or I'm angry because I feel like I'm not getting what I deserve. It's all about me. But here's what Mark 10.45 tells us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of God, who sat at the side of God, who deserved nothing but exaltation and celebration and praise, laid down his life. And I think if we take that model of Christ into our relationships and our heart is to serve and love each other, that is what brings God glory. And friends, let me tell you, the seasons of my nine-and-a-half-year marriage that have been the most sweet are when there's just that joint love and service and laying down our lives for each other. And it kind of just kicks the me monster right out the door. So here's the questions you need to ask on this one. Is it you versus me? Is the conflict me versus you? There's a competition, or is it me plus you in the relationship? Are we working together as a partnership, as a team, or are we constantly battling? And if you're constantly battling, ask yourself this. Is that me monster surfacing its head within me? Okay. I'm going to sit down. Love that. Very cool. Did you mute me? Turn me. Okay. Can you hear me? There we go. I don't know what happened there. I love that, though. Uh, Someone who wrote on our... uh, guest book when we got married uh, I love just two words that were so profound to me and so hard they said compete I guess it's three words actually now that I say it <laughs> two and now it's four words oh my goodness <laughs> I don't know I don't know how many words it's 30,000 words compete to be selfless I just love that like if you're going to compete at anything it's not against it's compete to be selfless Five landmines that sabotage great relationships, self-destructing cycles. You have skeletons in the closet, stuff that's hidden that you think no one else will see and it won't hurt anybody else. The me monster that rages outwards, just I am at the center. And then fourth, speaking gibberish. Speaking gibberish. I learned early on that my wife and I spoke very different languages. I, 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 you know, I've always roomed with guys, and so when we got married, this is the first time I ever lived with a girl, and I didn't know how to speak girl talk, per se, and so that was, like, you know, a new deal for me, and so, like, in the dorm with uh, my roommate, and he was one of my best friends growing up, too, and, I mean, we see the trash overflow, and if we thought the other guy needed to get it, we'd just say, hey, take out the trash. I tried that with my wife. <laughs> And she's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I just asked you to take out the trash. Not the most sensitive. And I realized she's like, could you ask me, could you please take out the trash? And your tone matters. What do you mean tone? What is this tone? What, do, what is tone? What, is, what are you talking about? I, I just said the words. The words mean, no, no, your tone. You, is, you sound angry. I'm not angry. I just want you to take out the trash. I'm, I'm doing this over here. I'm washing the dishes. 
Okay, could you please take out the trash? Hi, that was better. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I'd say to her, and I mean, we lived in downtown Chicago in the middle of winter. It's sub-zero weather, and we're about to go out. I'd have my, you know, clothes all ready. You got to layer up. And so I'd ask her, hey, Jenny, are you ready to leave? Ready to go out? And she'd say, Yes. So I'd put on my, you know, big winter coat, you know, I got everything, scarf, and that was not for style, it was because of need. Uh, and then we would, I would stand at the door. Where is she? Like five, ten minutes, and I go, and I get so frustrated, so angry, what are you doing? And you said you're ready to go. And she looks at me as if, like, appalled. I am ready to go. I haven't got everything else in the house ready to leave. I'm like, what, what? I don't, what? So from now on, I learned to ask the right question. Are you ready to go out the door? And, you know, I just had to, because here's the, here's the truth. Relationships break down on this one big thing called communication. And you got to learn the art of speaking each other's languages. It's not okay just to go, I, you just need to learn mine. This is the way I am. This is the way I talk. Figure it out. You go, I'm going to learn your language. And, then if you, the, and likewise, I want to learn yours. And you make movement towards the middle. Uh, Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers before listening... That is his folly and his shame. And we have so many relationships that do that, that just jump in and that just go, ah, blah, 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 blah. and you didn't hear at all. You didn't listen. Listening, by the way, is a full body sport, okay? It can't just be like, yeah, and I learned this early on too because I'm a terrible multitasker. Jenny would talk to me as I was watching TV and I hadn't a clue that what she said. She, yeah, I'm like, oh, what did I just get myself into? Um, and realize, okay, and this is for guys, okay? Take notes, okay, guys, this is, okay. When you listen, you make eye contact, okay? When you listen, you nod your head. When you're listening, you're not figuring out what to say next or how to respond. You're just simply trying to understand them, okay? It is a full body sport. Here's some things that actually hurt and why we speak gibberish. The first uh, letter A is right fighting. This is how almost every single fight happens. It is about winning and who's right. And by the way, just a little tip. If you win, you have lost. Because the goal in marriage and in a relationship is not winning, but oneness. And when you win, and when it's about being right, and I want to be right, I want to be right, I want to be right, you have lost because you have broken down oneness. You have put the other person against you. Right fighting is a critical way we speak gibberish. Another letter B is word bombs. These are words that are intended to do harm. And the deeper you dive into a relationship, the more arsenal you have, the more ammo you have to say something that, will, that can just 
cut to the core because you know them better. And you can make that slight comment, and sometimes it's just like this little side comment. It can be real direct, and you're just like, well, you know, a, a bomber just coming in, and like, I'm so angry, I'm just going to say this, and it comes out of your mouth. I can't believe I just said that. And it can absolutely crush your mate. Let her see. Unresolved conflict. If you don't know how to resolve conflict, and that's for, we, we can't unpack all of this. These are like five talks, messages. What happens is that unresolved conflict doesn't just go away. When you avoid it, it doesn't dismiss. What it does is it's like putting on a pair of lenses in which you view all of life. And you view their actions, their response through that set of lenses, and you begin to think the worst about the person you say you love the most. Because it just begins to taint how you see it. And, well, they did that because of that. Well, they did that because they always do that. And they're just out to do it. Unresolved conflict. And where you'd begin to say, you know what? We're going to begin to deal with, address hard issues together. And we're going to do whatever it takes to resolve it. The key question here is, are we communicating or are we just talking at each other? I mean, are we really communicating? I love how one writer put it this way, that communication is, a, is the connection of the hearts. It is a connection of your hearts together. It is listening to the other person's heart where you walk away and I didn't just hear them. I just didn't, we didn't talk and we didn't exchange information, but our hearts got connected together. Question, are we communicating or are we just talking at each other? Number five is the great abyss. These are areas that you have completely opposite views on. Now, when you met him, when you met her, their differences was awesome, right? They were amazing. You looked at that, oh, he's so awesome. Look at that. He's like outgoing, and he's like spontaneous, and then you get married, and a few years in, oh, he's spontaneous, and he never, he's just like outgoing, and we just need a weekend. What happens is what once attracted you soon begins to divide you. And you have the choice. This is so important. You have the choice. Will you allow your differences to refine you as a couple, refine you as a person, or divide you? Listen, listen, listen. You have the choice. Listen to what Proverbs says here. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The goal is not that you have a frictionless life, not that you don't have conflict. The goal is that you sharpen one another, that you become who God made you to be, that this relationship becomes all that it was intended to be. Your differences is the friction that is going to create some of that sharpening in your life. And you have the choice whether that's going to refine you and make you more and draw you closer together, or is it going to divide you? I think there's a few kind of big areas that we see this often play out. One is in the area of intimacy, uh, and we talked a lot about sex last week, and there's kind of typical roles, and not, it doesn't always fall this way, but guys in intimacy really understand, you know, we need the physical side of it before we move on to uh, the emotional side, and gals oftentimes need more the emotional side before they move on to the physical side, and a lot of conflicts there because of how you see intimacy so 
vastly different and relationships are just butting each other's head and never really resolving, never really saying, okay, how do we begin to see this refine us instead of divide us? Another area is finances and your background there, you might be a saver, you might be a spender and you come back to it and you have a picture of finances and here's what the big deal with finances. We're actually going to take three weeks after this because this is such a big deal for relationships, this is such a big deal for us uh, because every financial thing, every dollar you spend is actually a spiritual deed and it, and it communicates value. You've got to understand that. So when you're talking as a relationship, you're not just talking about money over here. You're talking about what do you value. When Jenny and I do our date and details and we're talking about finances, we're talking about our values. And finances is a major, major area that marriages and relationships self-destruct on because they have this abyss. And it creates such tension, such pressure. Another area is that of parenting. We got any parents? Come on. Anyone? Don't be shy. One. Woo. I knew seven o'clock was going to be low on parents. But here's the deal. Here's just what you need to know because we don't have a whole lot of parents in the room. This is for future, so just jot it down, okay? You grew up and your family background that Christina talked about is so important because you're either reacting to your family background or you want to move towards that. That's what's normal for you. And you both come into a situation that's normal, and it may not be wrong, you're just different. That's a huge idea right there, by the way. Your spouse, your mate, your boyfriend and girlfriend, they may not be wrong, it may just be different. It may not just be the way you do it. In the area of parenting for Jenny and I, I came from kind of a real strict, real rigid, and my dad was like, you know, 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, hey, wasting daylight, come on, get out there, son. Like a Saturday. <laughs> my wife came and it was real loosey-goosey and free, and we both loved Jesus and ended up great. But we have two polar opposite views on what it looks like to parent, and as a result, what does it create? Friction. And you have the choice, and I have the choice. Will we allow it to refine us or divide us? The question here is, are we allowing, and you fill in the blank, whatever that great abyss is for you personally, to refine you and then cross out is supposed to be divide you. Are we allowing whatever it is to refine us or divide us? Because here's what... The wise know, the wise understand, it's not necessarily what you know, but what you do with what you know that makes all the difference. So, would you take and identify one area, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're uh, married, identify one area that you see as a landmine in your life or your relationship? And just one. And some of you going like, I got all five. Welcome to the club. Me too. Okay? But it is overwhelming and is not doable to take all five on. You say, I'm going to take one. I'm just going to take one. I'm going to identify one. And we're going to begin to focus and work on this. Identify one. Would you set aside time to talk this week as a couple? If you're single, get a good close friend. It might be in your missional community. You begin to go identify, hey, what is your landmine? And begin to talk about that. Then develop a game plan together. It's not enough to identify and just go, well, there it is. 
you begin a game plan, and you may need to get outside help. You may need to get counseling. You may need a wise mentor to begin to speak in to that area. Faded human race hangs not on intuition, but on intentionality. Would you take the next step, have the courage to begin to address some of these things and not just think, we'll get there, we're the exception, we'll figure it out, but you would develop a game plan and begin to say, it's, it's way more than just falling in love. I long to stay in love. And you would move intentionally. And you would say, okay, Monday. What does it look like Monday? What does it look like for you this week to begin to apply what God's telling you? We're going to shift and do about 10 minutes of Q&A, I think, Jay. Is that right? Okay. Man, it's been a fun series, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and thanks for all your questions. They've been, they've been good as well. So we're going to do a little bit of Q&A, our last Q&A on uh, relationships. And you guys have been asking great, great questions, by the way. What are you doing over here? All right, you guys ready? Nope. There's some good ones. Here we go. Okay. Wow, it's just blowing up now. Um, man, guys, I had a plan, and now you're just blowing up the phone. Okay. Uh, talking about skeletons, there might not be a great answer to this, but... Um, When's a good time in my relationship to let the skeletons out of the closet with the person I'm dating? Oh, that's How do a I great know? question. Yeah. Do you want me to hit it? Or? All right, this is a huge question because I see, here, I see guys, especially single guys, that are really trying to honor God do it too soon. And so they'll be on a first date and they'll go, Bleh! And us girls run for the door. <laughs> girls do it too, and it's called emotional vomiting, okay? And, and you just begin to pour out all of you, and you disclose too much too soon. And so back to your different levels in your dating relationship, like dating is the lowest level of commitment, engaged is the next, and then married is the highest level. You begin to say, I am going to disclose how much I share based on the commitment level we have together. Does that make sense? Okay. So you don't have to share everything up front. You have to be fully honest. Now, listen, you need to be able to share everything with someone. Okay. Does that make sense? Someone in your life needs to know everything. I have bad things grow in the dark. Okay. And you just begin to go, I, and we've just made a commitment even on our staff where we just said, we're, we're going to be transparent. You need to be able to be fully transparent with someone, and that may be a decision you need to make tonight. But you're going out on a date, you go, okay, when I'm going to just begin to little bits of who I am as we get to know that I can trust them with the information that I give to them. I know that it's not going to overwhelm them, and I know that it's not going to be used back to harm me. We give often too much information, I think, too quickly in, in dating relationships. Now, once you're engaged, 
the commitment level has gone up, and I'd say, then you need to have some really honest questions. That's where a good premarital counseling will talk about, hey, family background, hey, sexual past, hey, religious and expectations of... Um, of, of how things are going to go. And that's when you begin to really get into, I think, more of the nitty-gritty. Now, if there's really, really kind of... Uh, yeah, okay, I'm done. Okay. No, you covered it. That's awesome. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, how do I let God into something? So you guys talked about letting God into the relationship. How do I do that? What does it... Sounds general. What does it mean to let God into something, into my relationship? Isn't God in everything? You made the comment, so you're up. These are so good. Y'all are deep. Um, okay, I think this can kind of look a little bit different depending on who you are and how you process and function things. For me personally, it's actually a verbal invitation. Like, Lord, I need you to help me with this. And for me, it then becomes a constant part of my prayer life like a daily repetition. And maybe it depends on what it is you're inviting the, the Lord into. If this is, you know, an addiction or a habit, I think it starts that way by just spilling it to God. I mean, talking to him. And then um, I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to be an active part of our lives. And I think that sometimes the Holy Spirit's trying to be a part of our lives that we can't hear the Holy Spirit because our sin is so, so big. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, it's saying to God, God, I need you in this area. I want wholeness in this area. I, I can't do this without you. I surrender this to you, Lord. And I'm, I'm asking you, God, please give me the Holy Spirit and help me to hear what it is you have for me. Um, and then following up by really listening to the promptings of the Spirit. And sometimes I think God asks us to do things that are kind of scary as we're trying to get out of addictions or habits, like telling other people about it, like getting help, going to a Celebrate Recovery group, going to ARC, going to different places to really get what we need. Because I think the Lord, um, He wants to see wholeness and healing in us, and lots of times that comes from the body of Christ surrounding us. And so I think that's a part of inviting God in, is that being obedient to what it is he's asking us to do um, to get that healing. Yeah, no, that's great. Read the yeah. rest. I know you went on to the next question, but read the last line because I want to address faulty theology real quick. Oh, oh not um, that you did anything wrong, but can you go back to it? Uh, yeah, the, oh, sorry, never mind. Me, never mind. Yeah. Go, go to no. your question. Just say it. Yeah. Here, here, someone it. say, isn't God oh, in, in everything? In everything. Mm, right. Here's what we do with God. Yes, God is in everything. My three-year-old son plays a game right now. And what he does is he closes his eyes and thinks we can't see him. Okay? He goes like this, and he starts laughing and giggling, and he thinks he's the funniest. And we play along with it, probably bad parents and forcing Where did Miles go? Where did he go? We do that with God. See, God's in everything. You're correct. But we play peekaboo with God. And you think he doesn't see and he doesn't know. And what Christina's saying is just so right on, where you just begin to go, God, here I am. I know you're already here, and so I'm going to stop playing games. I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to stop playing peekaboo with you and pretend like I can hide anything from you. You're already there, and I'm just going to acknowledge it with you. Okay? Okay. Um, are there ways, if I'm not dating, if I'm single... Are there ways for me to engage the relational relationship landmines? I think that's such a great question. So what are practical ways I can get into this stuff when I don't actually live this stuff with a partner because I'm not dating anybody? 
I, I would say you're never less motivated and it's never more important than when you're single. Okay? You're never less motivated because when you're in a relationship and you have that refining back and forth, you're really motivated. When life's really hard, you're really motivated to figure it out. When you're single, you don't have that, some of that motivation, but it is the most important time to actually begin to address those. When, when especially Christina's talking about skeletons in the closet, those are things that you can begin. The more pre-work you do, it doesn't mean those are gone. It doesn't mean that it, it doesn't still have some impact, but you can unpack those in a way where you don't carry all of that in. And, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why we do missional communities, where you get into community and begin to do life and express hearts and begin to journey with the community where you can just really be you and people can walk alongside you. I would think specifically on the me monster, y'all remember we were talking about that. I think... It, I- I'm going to talk to the ladies in the room a little bit. Men, you can listen in too. And I'm hoping I'm not stereotyping. But I feel like from my personal experience and for some of the friends I know, um, as we go into a relationship, we're kind of maybe looking for a man to complete us, to bring us, um, you know, not only that ring on our finger, but like, like once I get married, once I get engaged, then I've arrived. And then it kind of rolls on. Once I have a kid, once I have another kid, once I get a job, whatever it is. Um, but I feel like this is the work that we do when we're single. It's not about us finding that completion in something out there. It's not waiting for someone to come along to make us whole. I think of, y'all remember the movie Jerry Maguire? It's kind of old, you guys are, you remember this, right? Like, super romantic scene, and it's like Renee Zellweger and Tom Cruise, and she says to him, do you guys remember this line? You complete me. And she's like crying, and it's like, oh my gosh, the radio, whatever. It's, Wait, it's that's like, not true? No, it's a lie, this is a lie. <laughs> um, but I feel like we kind of buy into that, and the beauty of being single is that you have the freedom to solely find your completeness in the Lord, in God. You know, it is, amen, it's like such a sweet, sweet season, because then when it's time, if it's time for marriage or a serious relationship, you are in a whole place, and you have so much more to give. You're not waiting for someone to pour into you. So work on that landmine. That's great. It's awesome. I think that's about, that covers it, most of the questions. There's a lot of questions. They're very similar. So Cool. I think. <laughs> or I'm just being really lazy right now. <laughs> you tell me. I don't know. No, that's great. That's great. Hey, um, why don't we stand and we'll close. May God give you the wisdom insight to know what the next step is for you. And may you have the courage to do it, even though it might be hard. In his name, amen. Have a great week.